Here we go, rejecting the screen, the going ISO edition as we do every week, a long form sit down with all sorts of folks involved in the NBA. Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, both out on the East Coast. Lamar Hurd, the Blazers TV analyst who just completed his fourth year. He's also executive director of The Other Side of Basketball, a youth basketball organization, a former all Pac-10 point guard at Oregon State. So I want to start with playing hoops before we get to talking hoops. You're the only full-time local TV analyst in the league who did not play in the NBA, Lamar. So I hmm. want you to run through the former players who are TV analysts that you would give work to right now. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know if I can name any of them right now because I'm actually, I'm coming off of a, uh, a surgery from um, just some old wear and tear from athletic injuries. So I'm actually in recovery phase right now. So I, I would say literally no one. Stop it. All right. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Anyone right now. Stop it. All right. Northwest Division. Matt Harpering. <laughs> hey, I bet Matt can still hoop, man. I bet Matt can still hoop. Michael Look, Cage. If I, if... <laughs> Michael Cage. <laughs> now, you know what? Michael, I'd pay now, for that now, right now. We, now. Now, how how are we playing? Is this like one of those one-on-one full-court games, you know, like the preseason conditioning type games or one -on -one limited half dribbles court. in the half-court? One-on-one half-court. I think I think I, I can get Cage. I think I can get Cage a little work, huh? Cage, I, I love Cage. Scott Hastings. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Scott. I, Scott isn't moving the best. Now, if he gets me down on the block, I might be in, in for some trouble. But um i think you know people like like scott and cage i don't know I, I still feel like i have the foot speed necessary to do what i need to do with those guys and you know be great you know be great is if we spent the next hour and noah just listed people that he'd like to see you play one-on-one -on -one against that would just be amazing <laughs> right, amazing podcast one more one more dominique dominique oof out of respect i'm gonna take the l on this one Dominique still looks like he's he, he looks like he's moving pretty well, man. Noah, don't get me wrong. Like it's not like if we had a game or something, I'm gonna go out there fearful, you know. But it's like it's one of those things where I got to do the work first. I can't just talk about it and say here's what I'll do, you know. Those guys they have resumes that speak loudly, so I believe I can go out there and do some stuff to then make you have to speak on my behalf in a way. But until that's done, then I don't really have much I can say. Okay. So, so here, here's the thing, Noah. Like, let's let let's first start off with Lamar's game from from back in the day, right? Let let's just let's start there before we before we get into his his current broadcasting and and Blazer stuff. So interesting. So a couple of things people should know. First of all, once beat Terrence Ross, former NBA dunk <laughs> champion, in a dunk contest. So that people need to know. But but before but before we even even get into that, if you want to, so. High school story for you, Noah. I used to work for a high school sports show. We had a national high school sports show. Early 2000s, I, I always tell this story that, that one night, Dewan Wagner starts going crazy. It was out of Philadelphia. He goes crazy in Camden, which was right across the water there. We get word about it that, that Dewan's going off and that he's going to have this 100-point night. Then I start getting calls that he got a 100-point night. I get a call, same night, from this producer guy by the name of Evan Gelber, I think, out of, out of Houston, was a TV producer. 
And he said, hey, have you guys heard about the kid that scored 100 points tonight? And we said, yeah, yeah, we did. And he goes, what do you, what do you mean you you did? And he's like, I, how did you hear? Because this is like early 2000s. And we're like, oh, it's huge news over here. Stewan Wagner, best high school player in the country. And and Evan goes, Dewan Wagner? He goes, no, Cedric Hensley did it here locally. It turns out on the same night, Two high school kids scored 100 points. Dewan Wagner, who who people may remember, uh, played in the NBA briefly, but uh, injuries set, set him back. But also Cedric Hensley played at the University of Houston, correct? Uh, yep, yep. And, and, yeah, that scored 101. Yeah, so so here's the thing. So we find out later, I find out later that, because I, I got the tapes of, of both games, at the competition, I've since Lamar played high school ball on the team with Cedric Hensley. We come to find out later when we became friends, Lamar and I. Yeah. So here's the yeah. thing. I've teased Lamar for years that the competition they played in high school <laughs> uh, when Cedric got his 100 points was a little bit different. But, but Lamar, take, take us through. What, what did it look like on that night and, and just in general, the, the Lamar and Cedric show back in, back in high school? <laughs> Well, our school was an interesting one. It was like, um, you know, like some of the charter schools you see pop up around the Houston area, uh, like the school Gerald Green went to, Gulf Shores. That was a, a charter school that was only up, I believe, for a few years. So ours was of a similar mode, but it was different in that it actually, it was a school. It was a school long before I got there, and it was a school for years after I left. Um, small 1A school. Uh, from K through 12, we had probably like 130 kids. So uh, I'm talking about tiny, tiny. And the year before I got there, I got there my sixth grade year. The year before that, the the, the high school team had one state. Uh, and they were good, but they weren't good like that. Like they literally, they were good for 1A private school basketball in Texas. But when I got there in sixth grade, we started this process of like, trying to make it a basketball factory and by the time I got to high school like we were we were a private school that was mentioned with some of the better private schools in the area like like back then the best private schools were uh, straight Jesuit that's where like Calvin Murphy uh, Jr. went and um, a guy named Jake Bosco you guys remember Jake Bosco went to UConn like they went to straight Jesuit and then there, there was a school called Westbury Christian Mm-hmm. They were really good. That's where Indy EB went, the kid that had committed to Arizona, played on my AAU team. Or <laughs> I should say I played on his AAU team. Uh, we both played for the Houston Hoops of Kendrick Perkins. Um, Indy then went straight to the NBA, didn't go to Arizona. So, like, those were the private school powerhouses. But by the time, like, we got to my junior year of high school, we were mentioned on the same level or higher than than all those people. And by the time my senior year came around, we were number one. We were considered the best private school. We were at that at that point now, we're being ranked with uh, like Chris Bosch's school out of the Dallas area. Um, and then Chris Bosch played with a guy named Brian Hopkins, who was a really good player, went to SMU. Um, and then like Kendrick Perkins' team, Beaumont Ozan, we're, we're, we're being ranked with those guys. Like we're starting our first game of the season, my senior year was at University of Houston. Kendrick Perkins high school team and it came down to the wire it was a great game first time I got my nose busted bleeding on the floor like it was a really intense game and they won I believe in single digits late in the game but it was a really good game so so our school kind of that was our path 
it, it was one where we went from uh, being known for winning a 1A state title to six years, seven years later, being independent, not even being affiliated with any league, just because there was there was no competition. Like we won state my freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, and it was really easy. So we just got out of that. And my senior year, we played a national schedule. And, um, you know, Adam, one thing that, like, propelled us to that decision was when when Cedric, Cedric scored that 101 points. That was my junior year. And we started – we saw, like, the kind of attention it bought. Like, all of a sudden, we had certain coaches that were calling, uh, college coaches that weren't calling before. We were getting invites to play in certain things that we weren't getting invites to playing before. So that was like our our moment of like, oh, okay, let's look at this a little differently. And it did lead, it played a big part in why we did decide to go independent my senior year. I got a lot of questions okay. off of that answer. So who were the schlubs you were playing against when he dropped the 100? <laughs> I know it wasn't Kendrick Perkins' team. <laughs> no, it wasn't Kendrick's team. It was, uh, was one of those 1A private school teams that weren't one of the best teams. Uh, a lot of those teams during that time, like they had at least one or two like solid players. Uh-huh. So not guys that are going to be like D1 guys or maybe even D2 in certain respects, but guys that can play. Um, but the the issue was we had like six guys who were D1 guys on our team. Right. So it's like the team was bad. They weren't as terrible, I think, as the score made it out to be. It's just like, you know, like our team was really good in in our league. Wait a minute. So, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Lamar, just wait. Can we just say, I just looked it up. The score was 178 to 28. Your your win over Banff. Was it really? 178? Banff Christian. Banff. Yeah, you won right. by 150 Banff. points. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we defended at a high level, Adam. <laughs> I mean, what do, you, what do you want me to say? Is that is that, is, that, is that embarrassing to look back at that score? Do, do you feel bad at all? Well, we that's a great question because I would like if I was in your position and looking back at it, you know, like without the context of it, I would think that same thing. But that night when we were playing the game, like it got to a point where they were they were like having fun with it. They they were amazed. Like when Cedric. Cedric Hensley, so not only did he score 101 points, but Cedric Hensley was like one of the most athletic players in the country. He was, um, you guys remember the name Hassan Adams that played at Arizona? Okay, so Cedric, Cedric was just as athletic as that guy. And, and, and maybe, maybe like slightly more, which I know is saying a lot, but like people in Houston, they know. Like Cedric was that kind of athlete. So in the first half, like Cedric is doing these crazy dunks and, uh, and, 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 just going off and like all of us, all of us are, you know, we're playing really well. And it got to a point where, and you see this, the other team, they become fearful and then they, they become fans of you throughout the game. So, you know, cause they don't, they don't want to get dunked on or they don't want to get crossed over or anything. So throughout the game, like they were having a good time with it. Even their coach, their coach was like, Hey, don't, don't take the press off. Like we eventually did cause things got out of hand quickly, but like that, that's the way they approached it. And and if it were me, like, and I've had this happen before, um, I would approach it the same way. Like, I've I've been working with kids here in the Portland area since 2007, and my first few years of doing it, uh, you know, like, I, it's not like I had some of the best basketball players in the area that I was coaching. 
And we would play like the Seattle Rotary, Friends of Hoop, Oakland Soldiers were coming to town. Those teams would come and play our kids, and it would look just like that game, Heritage Christian versus Banff. And I would tell the coach of Rotary, no, don't take the press off. Don't take the trap off. I don't care how much they dip their head. You know, like, we're going to continue to work through it. We're going to be down because after the game, when we talk, we're going to be able to talk and ask ourselves, how much do we really want to get better from this? So that was that was my approach with it, and that was the approach Banff took that night. So, uh, no, I guess to answer your question, I don't feel bad about it just because of how that night went. But if I were just to look at that score and not be a part of that night physically and know the things that were said and, and the, the, the way that their team went about it, then, yeah, I'd be like, hey, man, y'all got to chill out. And you know what, Noah, too? So my coach, he started getting bad articles written about him after that game. And that was the first time that that had happened. And he, he was put on a lot of people's bad list after that game. I'm not surprised. You've since, I mean, I, I want people to know, I think one takeaway here, I just, we, we start off with asking you to name all the people you can beat one-on-one and then, and then turn it into, here's a, here's a ugly high school score. I want people to know that Lamar Hurd is maybe the nicest guy in our entire industry. One of the nicest people I've ever met, period. So I just I want people to know that just a great person individually. I'm curious at that time, Lamar, what you, you've uh, you obviously uh, we could talk about about some of your playing career in college and all that stuff. But at that point in time, what did you what was the dream for you and how much thought had you put at that time into you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll be a broadcaster one day? Mm-hmm. Well, at the time, the dream for me was always trying to make it to the NBA. That's the reason I even went to that school, Heritage Christian. I grew up in the southwest part of Houston, and I moved out of my mom's house in the sixth grade to go and live with this basketball coach because I just wanted to go to this private school where the coach had the key to him, and we can access it any time. So I was willing to sacrifice anything in the literal sense to play basketball. I didn't care if it was a family member. Uh, that's just how much I loved it as a kid. So that's why I understand like the influence and the level of impact a good coach or mentor um, or just a, a a guidance figure can have over a young kid who loves something as much as like I love basketball. So that was that was a dream for me. And uh, I did think about broadcasting only because like, so when I first started thinking about broadcasting, it was because Kenny Smith was a Houston rocket. And then once he eventually retired, he started working for TNT. And when I saw that, I I followed his career just because I followed all the rockets and I saw him doing it. I I would hear him talk about it. And I always felt like I was a pretty good student of the game. Like I just loved understanding the game. I played point my whole life. And, and uh, one thing that I always try to do, a good job of is just understanding the people associated with the game and the reasons why things are done, the reasons why people choose to do things and just really analyzing it. So when I saw Kenny Smith doing that as a job, I knew that I want that to be my job whenever I'm done playing. The way I envisioned it was, you know, like, hey, you got to have a a double digit uh, year career in the league like Kenny Smith. And then after that, you move on. So, like, I always thought, like, that was the only path to do it. Um, so, like, once I eventually did get into broadcasting, it, it certainly wasn't that way. You know, I played that one season overseas in Germany and had a great time and planned on continuing to do that. 
But then I started working with kids. I got back to the Portland area. I started working with kids. And the only reason I did that was because of my experience I had with my coach growing up and going back to understanding, like, the type of impact you can have on them. And I just felt like that was my chance or time to do that. Um, and it was during that time in 2007 where I got a call from the Oregon State Administration asking me to help them on a coaching search. And it was throughout that process where they asked me if I still wanted to do TV broadcasting. And I, of course, said yes, but I didn't know how I could do it since I was a retired 23-year-old who had a, a up-and-down career at Oregon State and you know struggled with a lot of things mentally. I didn't think that there was a chance for me to get in. But there was. I got an interview, and and two weeks after the interview, I, I got hired. That was my first time getting a TV job in 2008. So I became a broadcaster then, and it's 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 been great. And it's it's exactly what I wanted to do, which is broadcasting whenever I'm done playing basketball. And fortunately, that's the way it worked out. So being finished playing basketball at 23 is a lot to handle mentally and emotionally. Did you ever get a call from an NBA team about a tryout? Yeah, so here's a, here's a really interesting thing. Um, when I when I decided to stop playing at 23, it was so my senior year in college. I got hurt halfway through the year, and then um, I got a chance to go to Germany and play. And I had a, a good season in Germany. I had a great time over there. And that team wanted me to come back, and I had a couple offers from other teams in Germany. And this was Germany's first division, and it was it was it's still good today, but it was really good at that time. And um, when I made the decision to start working with kids, there's a lot of people who knew me that are, I guess, kind of my inner circle of people, family, close friends, who thought I was absolutely nuts for not, not going back over there. Um, also at that time, I had a chance to um, join the D-League. I keep getting, I keep, since it's now G-League, I always want to say G now, but, but at the time, the D-League. And that came after a summer of working out with John Lucas. So the summer of 2007, I went back home to Houston and I was working out with John Lucas. And I, like, you know, John, I don't know how much you guys know about those workouts, but like pros are there. It's mm -hmm. like current pros are there playing. Who was there with you and at the time, Lamar? When I was there at that time, uh, Gerald Green was there. Uh, John Lucas' son is always there. Uh, Damon Stoudemire was there. Moochie Norris, I believe, was there that summer. Uh, James Posey was there. I'm trying to think. TJ Ford. It's an invite-only type of situation. So I'm in there, and I'm playing, like, my best basketball. Like, this is when I'm out of college. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just playing how I know I can play, which is something I didn't do in college. And uh, John, after one of the workouts one time, he came over and pulled me over. And it was and like having John Lucas pull you over one-on-one -on -one in the workouts. That's, that's, that's the equivalent of like, you know, like in the NBA, um, Greg Popovich going on after a game and just raving about an up-and-coming coach, you know, for like, for like five, ten minutes on camera. You know, like that, that, that up-and-coming coach now, he has that endorsement. That endorsement rings loudly to people in NBA circles. So John is just talking. He's like, man, you've gotten so much better. And, you know, I want to keep an eye on you. And if it's not this year, the next year, I think we can get you on one of these summer league teams. You know, like we're just late on it this summer. And so, like, I, of course, I was super pumped up about all that. And my family was aware of that conversation. And my coach was aware of it. 
who understands what that means in a basketball world. And so, you know, like it was, it was only like three months later or so after that, where I told them, Hey guys, I think I'm gonna shut it down and start working with kids. Um, even though they, they knew, at least I told them why I was doing it. And they knew like the path that I'd taken my own self as a kid and why this was important to me. They just, a lot of them felt like it was a big mistake. And I understand that. I get why they felt that way. Um, so um, it was it, it was tough for a lot of people. Um, and it got even tougher when in 2009, I started working, or I'm sorry, not working, playing. I played in this league called the IBL. It, it, it was predominantly on the West Coast. And it's it's a league that takes place in the spring and summer. And it's like for guys, former pros or current pros who are done with their season, coming back from overseas to play. I played on the Portland team with that. And uh, we had a really good team. And our team went all the way to the finals. And I played really well in that. And uh, so much so that we were playing in a regional tournament up in Washington. And there were a bunch of D-League coaches that were there because they'll come to that check out the talent and if they like you they'll invite you to their upcoming camps that they're they have you know a couple of months after that and so a guy named brian gates who and adam i think i've told you this story before i can't remember but brian gates um who is currently an nba assistant coach he was with the sacramento kings this past year i don't know if he's still with the kings or if he went somewhere else because he's he's been to a couple of different teams but brian gates at the time was the head coach of the idaho stampede and Throughout the tournament, Brian is watching our games. I'm like, there's like really good teams there. Like the Los Angeles team that was that's there. They got Toby Bailey from UCLA. Derek Martin was there. Lamont Murray. Um, like those are the kind of players that are there, which is, uh, you know, like not not present day stars or something, but it's like real basketball. So Brian Gates comes to my IBL coach after one of our games, and he's like, "Who's that dude? Who's who's number one?" And the coach is like, "That's Lamar Hurd, played at Oregon State." And Brian's like, "That's that's." To, that's Lamar from Oregon State because he knew me from Oregon State, but he didn't know who it was he was watching play. And the coach said, "Yeah." He's like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 no, 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 no!" Like I've never seen him play like that. And so Brian stuck around for the rest of our games, and it was more of the same. And our team ended up winning the championship while we were there. Um, and after it was over, Brian called my coach and said, "I want Lamar to come to our." Idaho Stampede training camp or, or tryout or whatever it is that they have at the Portland Trailblazers practice facility. He wanted me to come to it that summer. And I, I, I turned it down because I knew that if I like dipped my feet back in it, like I'm going to go all the way. I'm not going to. So like, even if I go to that tryout and they're like, okay, you were good, but nah, we're going to pass on you. Like, that's not going to be it for me because I'm not going to get in shape for that and train for that the way I need to for that to be the end. I'm going to go from that to something else to something else. And so I knew that I had to make a decision, either like I dip my feet in this and try it or just remain where, where I'm at. And I decided like, I'm not even going to touch that. I'm just going to remain working with these kids the way I am. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know how long I'm supposed to do it, but I just feel like I'm supposed to be doing this right now. And even with that, like when, when some of my family and, and close friends caught wind of that, like they weren't happy with that either. Uh, you know, like I, I come from a family where we, we don't have a whole lot. So for a lot of my childhood, you know, like I was kind of seen as like, Hey, like this could be our way out of some situations if he gets there. And it's not like there was necessarily that expectation placed on me, but 
with a lot of kids who like were in a similar situation to what I was in, you know, you feel that it doesn't even have to be stated. You just feel, you feel like that's something you want to do. And you recognize like you have the ability to maybe do that for the people that are close to you. So that was, that was always hard. That was hard to deal with. And even now guys, looking back at that whole situation, that was a decade ago. There are some times where I think about it and it's like, man, you know, like, Hey, what, you know, what would have happened if I had done that? And, how would some things be a little differently? But I, I certainly feel like I, I made the right decision and what I, it is I wanted to do and for the right reasons. And um, things have, have worked out overall from that. Where do you think it comes from, that ability to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to this, to this next stage, even though this other mm-hmm. thing is tempting? And then I guess that the second part of this, and I hate to ask two questions at once, but the second part of this is, mm-hmm. at what point, did you say to yourself, you know what, I'm, I'm actually really good with, with this decision? Yeah. Um, I think the, the decision-making comes from just trying to make decisions based on conviction, like over emotion. Like I try to do that as much as I can with everything. Like some, some of my family, like they, they'll make fun of me. They'll say, you know, Lamar takes forever to make a decision. Um, but we know that once he makes it, like it was the right decision for him. And generally, like that is true. If I have time to make a decision, I will. I'll use, I'll utilize that time just to go through all the, you know, the pluses and minuses and the reasons why. It kind of goes back to that analyzing. Like, why am I truly making this decision? Is it, you know, like how much is outside influence impacting this decision? How much of this decision? is what I really want to do versus what somebody else wants me to do. And I just try to take all those things into account. And once it's all said and done, I try to make a decision based on what principally I'm convicted on. And because that's where my decisions come from, usually I, I feel really good about that decision right away. And that's, that's what, that is what happened for me with, with this decision, Adam. It's, it's like, I knew, the place um, from which the decision came for me to say, like, I'm going to stop playing basketball. And it's not like I forgot about everything that I went through to get to that point. And, um, you know, like the, man, the, the, the stuff my family had to be a part of, like my family moved, you know, like when we, when I went from Southwest Houston to Heritage Christian, like we had to move, we had to buy a new house in order for me to be able to attend this school because it's so far away. So like all of those things are things that factor into it. But even with that, I just felt like this is truly the right decision for me to make right now. And at that time, I couldn't even tell you what the end goal was. I can't even tell you like I'm making this decision because by 2020, I want to now have um, this organization that has 500 kids and we got the best AAU team and uh, we have a multi-million dollar facility and all that. Like all those things, if they happened, great. But like that wasn't the reason I made that decision. So I just, I, I knew my reasons for it all and I, I felt really good about it right away. When you did move in, in high school for you to play basketball, did you hear it from... <laughs> Maybe you can give us some insight into the family situation. Did you hear it from your mom? Did you hear it from siblings? Like, hey, we're moving for you. Don't mess it up. No, no, no there was there was certainly nothing like that. 
Um, but again, like just, you know, like I, I knew, I, I knew like, all right. My, so I, I had an older brother who is five years older than me. He went to the school first. So that's the way I found out about the school. When I was in the fifth grade, he was already, my mom sent him up to the school because my mom knew the coach. Uh, just Got because it. he went to our church. Yeah, he went to our church back back in the Houston area. And he he told my mom about this school like he's coaching that. And so my older brother, my mom just wanted to, like, try to get him out of the big public school in, in Houston. You know, we didn't have a dad at home. So she just wanted to make sure he had the right people around him. So he went to the school first. So when I was in the fifth grade, my brother was out the house during the weekdays. And on weekends, he'd come home and then tell me about this private school that the coach had the key to the gym. That's all I needed to hear. So I begged my mom to go. So, so like my brother is the reason we went first, but the reason we stayed and the reason we invested in it the way we did, I know was, was mainly because of me. Uh, but, it, but nobody, you know, like necessarily like, you know, rub that in my face or anything like that. I mean, that, that's so much pressure for anybody to take on, let alone a mm-hmm. kid. Who you are mm-hmm. end up excelling in the basketball court, and you're valedictorian. Mm-hmm. What was what was your valedictorian speech message? Oh, I don't even I don't even remember. Gosh, I, I I do not remember what it was. If I had to guess, though, what that was, um, it was probably just something about trying to to make the most of each situation and uh, pushing forward with purpose. I remember in high school, like just having a purpose to what you do was always really important to me. And, you know, for some people, you got to like, you know, some people got to go on like their own little life journeys to figure out what is that purpose? What, why am I here? What am I meant to do? And so I do remember in high school, encouraging people to, to go on that exploration. Um, and then once it, once it hits you sometimes, you know, like, don't be afraid of it. You know, like it, it might not be what you think it is. Like for me, in 2007, when it's like, no, nah, you need to be working with these kids, you know, like that's not something I ever even wanted to do. And it's not like I was anti, like I loved, like when I was in college, you know, like, uh, like all colleges, the, the coaches have these summer camps, kids come in, um, the, the players of the team are able to work the camp, you make a little extra money, like we would have so much fun with that. So I was never like against it, but it's, <laughs> I never said this is what I want to do. But that that just changed. It just felt different in 2007, and um, I started doing it. So, so I I would guess Noah that my speech had something to do with that because I do remember in high school just trying to spend time thinking about that and even talking to other people about it. That was important to me. Well, you might not have known where things were going to end up, but obviously now, an analyst with the Blazers, as Noah said, just how rare that is for someone who didn't play in the league to have that opportunity. But people recognize the kind of kind of broadcaster you are and the, the work you were doing at Pac-12 Network when we when we connected. Um, mm-hmm. Lamar, take us through how this job came about and, and what the obstacles were for you to get it right right from the right from the jump. Yeah, this this is uh maybe one of the more misunderstood things about my journey of how this job did about uh, because so before it came about, 
there there were two gentlemen here working a TV job, Mike Barrett and Mike Rice, who from the time like I was in Portland, like once I relocated here to the area, when I would watch Blazer games, I would watch them. And right. I enjoyed watching those guys. You know what I'm saying? So like that was a normal thing for me. So I remember in the summer of 2016 when it came across Twitter or somewhere. I, I don't even remember where I found the news. I feel like it was Twitter. But it said that, you know, the Blazers had parted away with those two guys. And, like, that was a shock. I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. And I wasn't even following the league like that because, cause like, all of my attention was, was into college. Like, that's just that's – just, that was just me. Like, I wasn't one of those basketball guys in college that had a great pulse on the NBA. I didn't. Like, if, even on, on my Twitter follows, like, I didn't even follow NBA people. I think Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum started following me on Twitter before I followed them. And <laughs> it, it, wasn't because, it wasn't because I didn't like or respect those guys' games. I just was not invested in the NBA. But I did know about those two announcers just from being here in the area. So I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then that was it. I went on about the rest of my day. There was never a, oh, I'm going to do that job or I want that job. So, like, my agent never reached out. There was nothing. At that time, Adam, my Pac-12 contract was coming mm -hmm. up. So mm -hmm. all of my energy at that time was about, okay, let's get this re-signing with the Pac-12 done. And that, that was it. <laughs> and um, it's funny because people around town, after the announcement had came that the Blazers had, had parted ways with the other two guys, people around town who knew me would be like, hey, that'd be pretty cool if you got the blazer job. And, you know, like it was kind of tongue in cheek when most of them would say it. Uh, but some people started saying that like for real. And, but my response never changed. It was like, Oh no, that's, that's not happening. That's not happening. Because first of all, I was very happy at the Pac 12 and I was not looking elsewhere. Second of all, even if I wanted to look elsewhere and I wanted the blazer job, my understanding was, Oh, you got to play in a league to announce on a league. You know what I'm saying? So like this isn't even either that or you have to mm -hmm. you had to have coached in the league or you had to have been a scout. Like I didn't even see it as a possibility. So it's 2016, and at this time, guys, I'm all I'm worried about is the Pac-12 and um, my engagement. I'm planning to propose to my now wife, but at the time it was my mm -hmm. girlfriend, <laughs> and I'm planning this whole elaborate um, uh, proposal at Cowboy Stadium. I'm going back and forth with my man, Kirk Reynolds, who you know, uh, Adam, I know you might mm -hmm. know Kirk as well too. But anyway, like, so that's, that's all 2016, the summer is about for me. And I'm on my computer and I like had just finished emailing Kirk uh, because we're about to head over to Dallas to go try to get this done. And then I get an email from uh, Jeff Curtin, who's the director of broadcasting of the Blazers. And the email says, Hi, Lamar, um, you know, something to the effect of, um, I think you might be aware of, you know, our recent change in the TV team. Um, we're interested to talk to you. Are you interested in talking to us? Like, that's how that went. So I immediately, I forwarded the email to my agent and I told him, I said, just got this email. I don't really think of it because I don't think like it's really a possibility. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they just need to interview somebody or what, but just sending it to you. And so my agent's like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, well, just, you know, like, just respond back and you can tell them, like, yeah, you want to talk, 
so we have the first conversation and it it goes well and uh, then that leads to like another conversation and like there was a point throughout the process where i'm talking to my agent and i'm like hey hey this isn't this isn't like gonna mess up the pac-12 is it like like i like i want to go to the pac-12 and he's saying well it's not gonna mess anything up but at the same time like you you don't have your deal done with the pac-12 like they're, they're working on it but it's not done so he's like I would advise you to listen to what the Blazers got to say. Like, you know, unless you're against it. And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll listen. I'll see what's going on. And guys, we would keep having conversations more and more. And then it just became more and more real. And it got to the point where, where I remember this, I had my meeting, I had my meeting with uh, Chris McGowan, the CEO of the Blazers. And I remember going to that meeting, I was sitting out with, I was outside of Chris's office waiting for Chris to be ready. And I'm, I'm with the guy who's our producer. I'm sitting outside Chris's office. And the, the producer's name is Dan Hyde. And you know what? I don't even think I've ever told Dan this. So if he listens to this, this would be his first time hearing it. But Dan and I are talking. And Dan, Dan is like, um, so like, what GPS do you use? Like, what GPS system? And I was like, oh, I just use this, the Google Maps stuff. And, you know, he's telling me, like, well, I found that, like, Waze is really good. Like, so, you know, like, when you're on the way to the arena, if something happens, you know, like, Waze, like, does really good of updating you. And, like, Dan is talking to me like I'm going to be the, the next TV analyst for the Blazers. And the whole time in my the whole time, the whole time in my mind, I'm like, dude, I'm just doing this to be respectful. Like, this, I'm I'm just having these conversations. And it's really interesting so far. But, like. I'm planning to return to the Pac-12 network. Like that's my plan. So I have my meeting with Chris and like that meeting could not have gone any better. Like the, the leadership there is it's impressive. Like it's impressive enough to make you want to work there. Even, even though like, I don't even interact with those guys on a regular basis throughout a season, you know, because we're travel, we're traveling and doing all this stuff. And those guys are mainly at the office or they're traveling themselves to other places. Uh, but they they set the mandate for the way the organization wants to run. And one thing that was really important for me when I had my meeting with Chris that day was hearing him talk about how important it is for him, um, like the the work that I do that's important to me in the community. And so, like one when 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 we started to get into that, like that changed things for me drastically. And how it is important that his TV figures, whoever they are that you know they kind of carry that mandate and um they want that responsibility of having a greater impact than just being a television figure and so i remember i walked out of that meeting and uh we went down kevin collabo was there that day and we went and we did like a demo and the demo went really well and i left that meeting and i called my agent and it's the first time i called him and i said okay i think things are different now and that's when the whole approach changed and it quickly went Blazers' direction, um, but it was that that whole situation was was really hard. Um, but um, I'm 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 super grateful that I got the opportunity to do that because I felt like it's been a perfect fit for me, both on on the TV broadcasting side and just organizationally what the organization is all about and what it stands for. Um, those are all things that are important to me too. Did you know that you were going to be doing a demo with Collabro that day? And if 
And if so, did they tell you the game ahead of time and what to be prepared for? Yeah, yeah, they did. They did say that we would probably do that demo. I don't I don't remember if it was set in stone, but I remember them talking about like if we had time that we would um, me, Kevin, our producer, Dan, Jeff Curtin, director of broadcasting and Dwayne Hankins, who is the chief marketing officer. And so Dwayne's like in charge of our department. And we so so they gave us a game ahead of time. It was a blazer versus Golden State game from I think that previous season. Yes, yes, it was from that pre from fifteen sixteen. And the plan, this is also when I knew things had maybe changed a little bit, like where like things are maybe gonna pick up. So the plan was that we were gonna call the game for a whole half. And about gosh, we made it to I think the first commercial break. Second commercial break. Second commercial break of the first quarter. And in our in our um headphones, the guys who were back watching, they communicated, they said, Okay, we've heard enough. And so that was it. We ended we ended the demo. And they didn't say we've heard enough because it's good or we've heard enough because it's bad. They just said we've heard enough. So um um I I knew though because like it's it's just like a player. Like when you have a good game, you had a good game. If you have a bad game, you know, like, oh, I don't that game. And during the call with Kevin, like, I knew I I had done a good enough job where if they say we've heard enough, it's like we've heard enough because we've heard enough good stuff, not necessarily like you're out of the running. So um, so that all went well. And, uh, yeah, from there, things things started to pick up. So, Lamar, you, you get the job, which obviously at the time, everybody – that worked with you, including myself, was super excited. And you've always been a confident guy, humble, but also at the same time, you don't get rattled very often. Now, all of a sudden, you're calling NBA games, a place that we obviously that you didn't play in and didn't coach. And so as it's going along early on, what did you find the hardest part of adjusting was to yeah. how you called games? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and it kind of ties into what Noah asked me, but I, I don't think I answered um, directly where he was asking what was some of the early, I guess, challenges with it. So that description of me, Adam, of like I don't get rattled often and that kind of thing, like that that wasn't my description in college. So without going too deep into it, like my whole college career was so up and down mainly because like I cared so much about like trying to – uh, come across a certain way to people like I in, in my ideal world everybody's happy um, everybody likes me not because like I need you to tell me you like me it's just like I, I, I don't want to do anything to like make you upset and like ruin your day or, or make you feel a certain way like if I if if I could have where everybody's positive and happy like man great like that's that's perfect uh, and so when things weren't that way I would struggle with that. And because I struggled with that, like it, it messed up my career. And, um, you know, like I, I took full accountability for that. And I always told myself once I, once I got out of that, like once I removed myself from college, uh, I told myself like, I will not make that same mistake again. Like it won't have, like I, I literally possibly have cost myself millions of dollars just because of this. And, because I could not overcome this. And I said, I will not do that again. And that's, that's a, that's a huge reason why, like, 
I started playing basketball better as soon as I left school. Um, but in every in every walk of my life, I started to just kind of apply that mindset. Like, look, I, I, I'm going to do what I know is the right thing to do. If I make mistakes, you know, I'll go back, I'll coach myself, I'll get better and this and that. But I am not going to get rattled by anything. So when I when I got this job in 2016, not only am I now calling games, uh, you know, for a bunch of players that are playing at a level that I ha- I never played at and um you know faster game and just you know like there, like there's times where like i i could i could i could feel it you know like there's some people who just look down on me you know, like there's some of my colleagues there's some of the there's some of the other uh analysts or tv people around that would kind of you know look at me with that side eye like like who's the new dude like how like how'd you get this job i actually had this okay real, real quick real quick side note i went to charlotte that year and uh Del Curry and Eric, I forget Eric's last name. Eric's the play by play, Del Curry's the T Collins. Okay, yeah. So 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 and no, you know this from being in that arena. You know, Charlotte, we call the games from kinda uh midway up the arena. So mm-hmm. we so I come into the arena on the floor level and I start walking up the steps to go up to the broadcast position. And as I look up, I see Dale and Eric there and also Stephanie Reddy who works for TNT, but at the time she was the sideline reporter for, for the Hornets. Like, they're kind of looking at me, not not in any kind of, you know, distasteful way or anything like that, but I can see, like, they 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 notice me, and I notice them, and I so I keep going up to the area, and once I get up there, I introduce myself, like, like to all the TV teams, and I was like, hey, how you guys doing? And I, I of course, know Dale, just from bas- basketball, and I introduce myself, and uh, Eric Eric says something to the effect of like, "Oh yeah, yeah um, you're the new guy working with Collabo. How, how's it working with Collabo?" And I answer that question, and then he says, "You know," and he like takes a pause, and he says, um, yeah, "How did you how did you convince them to hire you?" And I said, "I said, um, yeah, and it's it's it, it, like it sounds like it was really disrespectful, and." Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I maybe somebody else would take it that way, but like I just didn't take it that way because I feel like I feel like he was just asking me directly, like, dude, you didn't play in the league, like you didn't coach here, like what happened? How did this happen? So it was like, what? So so I told him, I said, actually, I I didn't convince them. I didn't go after this job. I told him exactly what I told you guys. I used to work at the Pac-12. <laughs> I was hoping and planning to work there again. These guys reached out to me this past summer, and uh, it went from there. And then I remember Stephanie, Stephanie making a comment like, oh, okay, so they came after you. And I, and I said, yeah, essentially, yeah, that's what happened. You know, not, not trying to say like I'm some big shot that they're supposed to come after me, but like that's just literally what happened. Um, so, uh, you know, so like early on, just, just giving people a chance to know me and understand how I got there was really big. But the, the biggest thing, guys, was, was internally. Like, our fan base was not happy about Kevin and, and me working as the TV people, especially after the departure of the two guys before. Because a lot of people felt like we, we did something to remove those guys. Like, like, almost like we fired them to take their seats. Like, none of these people knew, like, no, 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 no. I... I, I I wanted to be at the Pac-12. Like this was not like a planned effort, you know. Like nobody knew the story of even how I got there. So a lot of our fans here within the city of Portland 
um, you know, like like most things, the group that's not happy, that's that's the most vocal group. And they were very vocal in all kind of forums, whether it's social media or writing letters into the organization. Um, man, it it was it it was wild, guys. There was one day I was doing a inside a motor center before a game, I was doing like a chalk talk and this is my first season. And as I'm doing the talk talk, um <laughs> Uh, this 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 fan comes in. It's like a group of like 15, 20 people, and we're talking about uh, Dame like not making the All Star team that year because he didn't get picked for the All Star team. It's so, like we're just going back and forth, and some guy comes into the room. He's he's like late to the party, and like he comes in and he starts asking a few questions, and uh, we get to the point where it's like last question time. So this guy takes the last question, and he says, "Hey, can you um can you find out for us uh, how we get um, the old broadcasters back wow and i said uh yeah yeah <laughs> and i said oh um uh, i'm sorry i don't i don't i don't have the answer to that i'm not sure how to you know get get to you know get get to that for you and he's like okay wow. yeah because he said he said yeah because watching watching the current guys um i can't even tell what team they're, they're rooting for they're rooting for the other team half the time and so my 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 trailblazer rep who's there because when we do these talk talks there's a trailblazer rep who uh is in sponsorship or partnerships who who kind of walks me to the location um <laughs> he was like okay you know that's it for today's talk talk thank you lamar so then i ended up leaving the room and after that time like so words words started to circulate because this is like a big storyline within the organization like everybody just knew of like you know like a lot of the hatred we were getting so after that i like different employees that came to me and were like man i'm so sorry you had to go through that and i and i would tell them and i meant this sincerely it's like yeah i do not care I, I i can't tell you enough like i'm not trying to put a wall or a front or like but really do not spend any time with this because this does not do anything to me so even on twitter guys like that's that's where a lot of the nba conversation has is is had I don't have fights on Twitter. On, on Twitter, I, I I don't. What what I will do? Like somebody asked me this recently. They said, "Well, do you ever respond to fans who say something and it's wrong?" And I say, "I don't respond to opinions." So if it's somebody telling me Lamar sucks, Lamar stinks, uh, he's not a good broadcaster, he's gonna get fired, whatever, you ain't gonna find one response on that. If it's something factual that I can give you a quick response to and say, "No, that's not what was said," and I can correct it then I will. Um, one example of that, this past uh, resumption of the, the NBA during the bubble games, there was uh, one, one woman who, um, see, and this happens a lot, you know, whenever your team is losing, people get in a really bad mood and they're just, really, they're just ready to go off and complain about stuff or just to express whatever it is, however they feel. This lady said something like, um, uh, Lamar's telling cheesy jokes or whatever, and she, she, she quoted what the joke was. Well, it wasn't me that said it. It was the guy that I was working with, Jordan. And so I just responded back to the lady and I said, that wasn't me. That, you know, you got me mixed up, but that's okay. And and just kept it moving. And, uh, you know, then she came back and tried to apologize because, you know, some people started jumping on her and, and that that wasn't the intent. Like I didn't want it to create some, some huge discourse, but things like that, I will respond back sometimes, not even all the time, but that's it. If it's, if it's anything else, then like I'm just I don't care. I I just don't. So 
Um, that was the big obstacle, I guess, early on. Uh, but in a way, it wasn't just because I didn't give it energy. I know for Kevin, there were sometimes he got really frustrated by it. Like Kevin Calabro, you guys know he's a legend in the broadcasting game. He's as respected in NBA circles as anybody else. And when when we first started that job this year or that year, and even leading up to this year, you know, like all the hate, then it didn't go away. Um, it was it was different for him to deal with. It was different, and there were times where um, it definitely rubbed him the wrong way. Um, so I guess as a team for us, that was that was the biggest obstacle. But outside of that, like he's such a great game caller, you know, like my my job was made easy a lot of times, and I was just able to add to a lot of the 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 calls he made. Um, and I really enjoyed our, our working relationship for sure. All right. So the, the disrespect in Charlotte, then you got the fan. <laughs> I, I want to really quick. I want to be clear. So if, if, if Eric cares this, I, I didn't feel disrespect by it. I didn't feel disrespect by it, but I, I got you. Okay. So let's flip this. Was there a player that, you felt went out of his way to make you feel comfortable or maybe the player didn't even know what he was doing, but it meant a lot to you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Players and, and analysts. Um, and I'll be really quick cause I know I'm spending a lot of time on these things, but, uh, for player, it was, it was Damian Lillard right away. Uh, Dame and CJ, but especially Dame, Dame kind of separated himself a little bit in that category because he's just the kind of person where he recognizes new people to, to a group and he wants everybody to feel at home. There was, there was this early season event that the team was having for some of its biggest uh, season ticket holders. And like, I remember that Dame came and just sat by me and started asking me about like, what was it like at Oregon state? Like, I didn't even know he knew I went to, like, I didn't know what he knew about me. I, I wouldn't expect like, yeah, Dame knows me. I went to Oregon State. I'm missing that. Like, I don't, I don't think of it that way. So, um, it kind of just surprised me. And he's like, you know, who was there when you were there, and who were some of the toughest people? And like, he's just having a day to day conversation that you don't expect, I guess, necessarily one of the you know league's top players to just be sitting there having that conversation at that time. Like, there, there was no need for him to do that. His whole team was there. He could have just been with them, um, but he came over there. And there's been other stories like that. Of things that he's done just just to um i guess make sure i'm part of the team in a way um so him and and cj cj has done some similar things too so those guys have certainly set themselves apart in that category but there's also been like some some tv people like my first year i'll never forget jim peterson who is the analyst at uh minnesota the timberwolves we go to minnesota for the first time and I'm on one side of the court. Jim's on the opposite side of the court. He's talking to Kevin. And um, I'm just I'm just walking to my broadcast spot. Like, I just try to mind my business. I don't, I don't go to no conversations that I'm not invited to. Like, I just go where I'm supposed to go. So my head down, I'm walking, and, like, Jim yells across the court, hey, Lamar, come over here. And so, like, I start going over there, and I'm thinking, like, who is this dude? Because I don't know that that's Jim Peterson. Like, I don't know. And um, I get over there. He's like, man, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of yours. And he just starts talking about games we've had and, you know, cer certain calls and things we've talked about. And so like, to this day, Jim's like, he's like one of my, one of my favorite dudes. Um, 
And, he, and he's one of the best analysts in the, in the game. He Jim's is. Awesome. He really is. Yeah, he really is. Um, so, like, you know, like, that would happen. And the guy we talked about earlier, Michael Cage, same thing. So, Michael Cage, my first year, he, uh, you know, kind of just – we met he welcomed me he's like you know welcome to the job and then and then in year two i remember he came to me he's like hey man you you know how k talks hey man hey hey man uh you pretty good man you pretty good you know you, you grow you grow, you grow a lot you go yeah oh yeah yeah i've been listening you know like he gives me all this stuff and i was like man thank you i appreciate it i appreciate it michael uh things like that um and, and I, I, didn't, guys, I didn't know i didn't know age knew how to say anything but what you know, like the same way a player wants to hear from his or her her peer peers to like know, like, all right, how am I really doing? Like, it's it's similar to us as an analyst. Like, it's great if the fan base loves you and and all that, but it's like, all right, I know my basketball people are going to give it to me from a different lens. And you know, there's there's times now like. Um, this just happened. And, and I love this because she's like one of my favorite people. And she was even back when I was working in the Pac-12 with Adam, Doris Burke. So Doris is, is one of my favorite people. I know a lot of people around the world love listening to her. The reasons I always love Doris is because I felt like she's, she is as versatile as like almost anyone in TV. She can host, she can, she can sideline and sidelining is so hard to do. And unless you do it and try it, like you don't know how hard it is. And she can she can be an analyst. So like I've just always had a high level of respect for her. We were doing um, we were doing the bubble games, um, the resumption of the season. Um, sometimes sometimes I check my phone throughout a game. Uh, other times like depending on what's going on, I just might be like whatever. I'm not even gonna look this time. But I I we're doing the game. I feel like it's the second or third game in the bubble resumption, and I had gotten a text message. First from Antonio Daniels um, of the New Orleans Pelicans. And AD sent me a message and said, Lamar, I know you probably hear this a lot, but you're really good at your job. And that meant a whole lot to me uh, just because AD is one of those guys I respect and got a lot of love for. And then, like, the the next game, the it was it was either a back – no, no, it was it was play, day off, play the, play the next day. That next game, I got a text from Doors. And Doris, Doris said, wow, Lamar, you are so good at your job. And, like, I have that – I got that one saved. And it's not it's not because I ain't got love for AD. I got love for AD. Uh, but me and AD, we talk. We talk often. Like, Doris and I, we don't talk like that. Like, she's never sent me a message like that. And so stuff like that means a lot to me because that's someone who I've been looking up to in our profession for such a long time, and that's someone who – it's a little, it's just more odd for her to reach out than it would be for AD or some of the other people that I talk to on a regular basis. So things like that, not to the level of Doris reaching out, but things like that would happen my first and second year, like Zach Lowe. Zach Lowe wrote an article about me and Kevin. I remember waking up one morning, my phone is going crazy. And I'm like, dang, what did I do? Like, I thought I did something wrong. And my phone is going crazy and it's because Zach Lowe wrote an article about us. And that meant a lot. And so, like, things like that would happen where um, it would further solidify in my mind, like, okay, you're on the right track. Like, you know, like, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not, like, necessarily great at the job. And there's there's still a lot, a lot of room for growth, but you're on the right track. So it was those kind of things early on that uh, just helped me to stay the course 
way. Lamar, one of the things about the idea that you didn't play that that I find so cool is that you almost have a like refreshing set of eyes is the way you look at the at the game, uh, at the experience on the whole. I'm curious as to some of the things that you found fascinating. Obviously, now you're much more familiar with it, but the first year or two, just in terms of how NBA players were were interacting, what their day to day was like, um, what your experience was like, the travel. What were some of the things that yeah. stood out that I don't think the casual fan realizes about about the league? Well, it's what you just said. Laugh the travel. the The travel is intense, and you you know of it because you know 41 games on a road, so you know a team is traveling. But like the actual details of it. And the feeling of, of like, okay, you end the game, uh, you're on the bus heading to the airport at like 1030 or 11, depending on what goes on. Um, like, and then you get to the next city, it's 1, 2 a.m. And then, oh, it might be a back-to-back, so you got to play that, that, that next night. And, like, there's just there's times where even I'm tired and I'm not even playing in the game. And I get to sleep for a lot longer than the players do. Um, the travel is definitely the biggest one. Like that's, it's it's like, it's real, man. It's it's just it takes a real toll on your body. Um, so that would be the first thing. Uh, the second thing would probably, I mean, you hear players a lot talk about how they feel like fans don't recognize like they're normal people too. And they go through normal emotions and normal family dynamics and stuff like that. I would say maybe that that would be the second thing is just how, how regular a lot of these guys are. And um, even the coaches, um, you know, like, if you're not working within the system, if you're not a part of the team or the league or whatever, like you don't get a chance to see these people outside of their workplace. It's, it's like, it's, it's kind of like in a, in a similar, but different way of like a kid who like your teacher at school, you just know your teacher from being at school. And then like, right. right, Find out. And then then you find out like, wait, my teacher goes to the gym and, and works out. Or, you know, my teacher likes to go fishing. You know, like you find out these other elements and it's like, yeah, your teacher's a regular person. I think it's it's really similar to that in a in a lot of ways. And with us, like we're we're really fortunate with the Blazers where a lot of the players, not only are they normal, like they're real solid people. Like they're good people. So the same way you might go into a a, a Starbucks or somewhere and um you know somebody might hold the door for you or just say hey how you doing like our players do the same kind of thing which seems like well okay i mean that's kind of what you're supposed to do that's humanity well it's not like that with every team <laughs> and 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 one reason is you know like the these guys they're used to always having a door held open for them or they're always used to being served they're always used to being catered to that it's just not that way with every team where players go out of their way to be normal and nice and be of assistance to you. So uh, we have that with our guys, and that's that's really nice to have. But definitely, Adam, the travel would be my number one answer. Outside of that, you know, like the basketball 
it is what it is. I don't know if there's there's so many surprises there uh, for the casual fan. Maybe for basketball people, what I would tell basketball people is, I know for me, when I was like working in the college game, um, there was kind of this assumption slash expectation that there's certain things that guys in the NBA wouldn't struggle with that guys in college do struggle with. So for instance, how to read a zone. Like I remember working in college, I thought like, man, this, this college team is struggling to pick apart this zone and like where to go with the ball. And I was like, this one happened in the league, but it does happen in the league. And there are <laughs> yeah. some of those, there are some of those IQ deficiencies in the NBA that, that you might think like, wow, like, Y'all don't know how to do this? You know, like, it's one thing to get the ball to the right spot and then just miss the shot. Like, there's some 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 players that don't know where the right spot is. Um, and so that, that, that was a little surprising early on, but uh, now I guess I'm used to it. How good did that first steak taste on the plane, though? <laughs> really good. <laughs> everything, everything does. Everything tastes good. Like, man, we're... We're treated so well with it all. Um, just the, the level of attention and care that you receive being affiliated with the organization at this level is, is certainly, it, it's a perk and it's something that n- none of us, we don't take it for granted. Um, you know, like I remember my first year hearing from the guys in Miami, their TV team, they were telling us how like they don't even, they don't travel with the team. They don't stay right. at the same hotel as the team. Yeah, you know, like that was... When I heard that, I was like, wow, that is nuts. Like, you guys are doing the same schedule we're doing, but you're having to, you're having to go commercial and having to do it. Like, I don't even know what that looks like. Like, if that was us, I would have to seriously <laughs> rethink the job just because it, it, it would still be a great job. But it'd be like, man, that is – that's – talk about, that, like, that's a a physical, few mental – Man, that is. That's some real extra layers right there. That, that makes it – very different. Um, so, and, and maybe those guys for them, if they were on the West Coast like us, where all of our trips are far, like they might, they might rethink it. But um, uh, yeah, man, all, all the way they take care of us, all the ways, it's 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 awesome. Speaking of other broadcasters, how much information for your broadcast do you get mm-hmm. from other broadcasters, and yep. how do you? figure out what is appropriate to say on the air and what is yeah. not about that other team. Yeah. So each year I get more information and that's just because like now all my relationships are, are stronger with all these people. Um, so, and that goes two ways. It's, it's, they, they know like, okay, we could tell you more stuff. Um, and we know, you know how to handle it. You know, like you're not the young kid that we might've had to be, be worried about that was 33 coming into the league and might say the wrong thing on air. So like, <clears throat> I think some of that's just reputation that now they're willing to divulge a little more information that could be helpful for me um, to, to understand or to talk about. So like, to answer your question, I, I know like, all right, there's some information that's maybe personal. So like somebody, somebody from another team might give me information on a guy like, hey man, here's kind of what's going on uh behind the scenes here's what's going on with his family life right now um here's what happened in practice here's a fight that people just got into or whatever and it's like that's not public information but that's just for me to know so that like as the game's going on 
Like, if, if those two players may be getting to an argument, I know, like, oh, okay, y'all was just fighting four days ago. So I'm just, I'm just going to keep an eye out and see what your dynamic is like. Um, it, it's, it's pretty simple for me knowing what to talk about and what not to because it's like just some things are just personal and don't need to be said. I think that's a, that's a temptation that's hard for a lot of people on television is to just say stuff just because you know it. Like, there's a lot of information that I know that I can say, I can tweet it, it'll, it'll, it'll go viral, I get, a, I get a thousand retweets, whatever, but it's like, nah, I don't need to say that. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, I, I keep that to, yep, I, I keep that to myself. So, yeah, I, I, I get a lot of information from people, but the main thing, Noah, that, that I like to do, like, I like to trust myself first. So, like, I like to watch teams play and see what they do because one thing I learned early on, like, my first year is, like I, w- I would go to the coaches, their pregame meeting. So each coach before a game, they talk for like, you know, anywhere from five to 15 minutes to the media, just answering questions. And I would go to that to hear what they would say. And there's sometimes like they would say stuff and I'd be like, wait a minute, like that's not what happened. Or, or like, hold on, like that doesn't add up. And so, you know, you start to recognize when, when a coach is maybe being, forthcoming and, and when a coach is maybe giving you the media answer and then when a coach is just all all you know downright lying and telling you something different and so what i what i like to do is just go and watch that team play for myself get my own assessment of the team talk to people within the team if need be and then formulate my own opinions from there so then what started to happen is like then when i would hear the coach talk that's just extra on top of it and then i can decide based on what I already know about the team and how I feel about it and, and, you know, details I've gotten, I can decide like whether what that coach is saying is matching up with the truth or not. Understandable. Lamar, what, I, I'm curious, last one for me, who are one or two guys in the league that since covering it, and obviously we know how you feel about the Blazers, but on other teams, who's one or two guys in the league that you've grown a lot of respect for that maybe before you didn't have as much appreciation for their, their games until you saw them live and, and started covering them. Hmm. You know, one person is Kevin Durant. I've always thought, I've always thought Kevin Durant was, was really good. Obviously. Like he's, he's a superstar has been basically, you know, from the get go, but like seeing him live, um, it's different because you see the height difference and then you see how well he's able to move with, with even such a height difference. So for instance, um, so like my role when I was in college was you go guard the other team's best perimeter player. So like, there's a lot of times where I, like, I'll look at something to think like, all right, what would I do here? Like if, if I was matched up on KD, what would I even try to do? What would I try to take away? And the thing for for guards, for smaller guards, you know, if you're smaller than a person you guard, you always just try to get underneath. Get underneath, try to dictate. Um, you try to not always present a, a top leg so that they can attack that, like little things like that. And I, I remember it, it's like it's stuck in my mind vividly. It was, it was our first game going to Oracle Arena 2016. And it was the first half, and KD had C.J. McCollum guarding him. And C.J. was sitting underneath him, 
And as I'm watching, I'm like, okay, CJ's like he's perfect. He's 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 right there. He's he's close enough where he can affect the shot, you know, like not block it, but he can affect it. And he's still spaced enough where like he should have the advantage. And KD did something like he like did a quick ball fake something, and then just ripped through and like just went right by him. And it wasn't it wasn't like he barely got around. <laughs> it's like right yeah. by and like and like the whole time like I'm gauging like hold on man this dude is like he's he's knocking on seven feet like you're not supposed to be able to do that and like to just see it actually happen like I hadn't I hadn't seen that I just hadn't seen that before the last one for me next year you're going to have or next season you're going to have a new full-time play-by-play guy next to you what would the challenges be for a new play-by-play person next to you who just completed four years as an analyst in these conditions? I think the the part of it that's just new is is understanding how one uh, one another works in that specific space. So for me, it was Jordan Kent who was doing our Orlando games with me, and I, I've known Jordan for years, but we've never worked in this capacity. So for me, it was just understanding how he likes to work. What are some of his defaults? When are times that he likes to talk? When are times he needs or expects me to talk? Um, so try, trying to balance that with also, I I want to um, I want to like add to that other person as much as I can. Even when I worked with Kevin, that was my thought process. Even though Kevin, I mean, he's a seasoned vet, so he he might not even need that in certain ways. I still want to be as good of a teammate as I can. So with Jordan, it was trying to find that balance of. Um, understanding how you work and then figuring out how I can do something to try to make your work even better. Um, so that that will be something for me and whoever gets that spot full time, whether it's Jordan or somebody else, there, there will be that process that uh, we need to go through. Um, and then in terms of just calling the games on on TV, you know, you miss out on all those conversations I talked about. Like, so like, I'm not talking to the other teams analysts or play by play before a game or somebody on their coaching staff. Um, I'm not, I'm not getting some of that information. It's, it's, it's mainly purely the game and my understanding that I already have of the players of what our guys are trying to do of what coach shots traditionally would run. Um, because there's, there's sometimes guys were like, <clears throat> If we're doing a game under normal circumstances and I'm there and something happens that maybe surprises me a little bit, like I can literally go ask somebody about it on the plane or um, before the next game in the dining hall. Like um, I, I have dinner a lot with one of our coaches and it's like a thing we do on the road. We'll have dinner together uh, in the arena and like we'll just talk. So like I, I don't have any of that. I can make calls afterwards, but like, it's just, I don't get the same uh, real time updates. And uh, I guess it's just not as timely. Mm -hmm. So it's just purely calling basketball. And uh, you know, it it is what it is. Everybody's having to go through it. So um, I just try to keep that as a perspective, you know, like it's it's certainly not like a victim mentality of like, Oh, why can't I have this? And why can't we be here? And why it's like, we can't, nobody can. So just make the best of calling it off off of the TV. Um, hey, if the games are as good as they were in Orlando, we'll be fine. 
but <laughs> I, 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 I would expect that over the course of uh, a full season, you know, there's going to be that dry spell. There's going to be that four or five game losing streak. And, you know, so that'll be new waters to navigate calling a game from a TV screen. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Lamar, we appreciate it. And we appreciate what you do on the air and off the air in the community. And looking forward to hearing your voice whenever the NBA comes back around. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was fun to join you guys. I, I appreciate you having me. Of course, our pleasure. Great talking to you, my friend. Yes, sir. Open and honest, that's what we asked for from guests, and Lamar certainly was. Some pretty fascinating stories about what it was like as a first-year non-former player coach TV analyst. Yeah, I've known Lamar for quite some time, the last seven years, actually, and um... – I meant what I said. He really is one of the most genuine, kind people. I mean, it comes across, obviously, in this podcast and the interview, but but he really is such a, a, a sweet person. I mean, there's no, there's no other way to, to put it, really. And I knew he was going to be in for it when that combination started. Him and Calabro and the fact that the two of them, you know, Calabro had this background where he had worked for the Sonics, so there was already the Seattle versus Portland rivalry. And then Lamar is a guy who hadn't played. And by the end, when when Calabro left, like they were talking about this being this beloved team, and and they really have earned respect in the city, which is is the ultimate compliment. And um, it's because of his work ethic, it's because of the kind of guy he is, and it's because of the the talent that he's got. So I'm excited to see where his career goes from here. All right, make sure you check out everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network, including Locked On Blazers. If you're a Blazers fan listening to this, to hear Lamar Heard, there's a Blazers podcast every single day, Locked On Blazers, along with the 29 other teams in the NBA. Also, Locked On NBA, the national program, five days a week, Hollinger and Duncan every week, plus Chad Ford's NBA Big Board with the NBA Draft around the corner, and Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd, and you can get us twice a week rejecting the screen make sure you subscribe rate review and share it with friends it's a different podcast than anything else out there in the nba landscape we're on instagram as well at rejecting underscore the underscore screen adam's on twitter at naismith lives i'm at noah koslov c-o-s-l-o-v adam thanks pal you are the best